Hello, welcome back to another new episode of the Rebuild Podcast. I am your host as always, Jordan Zerm. I'm a writer for UpRocks. I'm a producer on the Tomahawk Show, but most importantly, I am the host of this here podcast. You can follow me as always on Twitter at Cleve Zerm. Please go rate and subscribe to The Rebuild on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's much appreciated. Those are the, the small things that help the podcast grow and grow. And again, last week's episode made the iTunes Top 200 charts in sports and recreation. So again, thank you to everybody that listens to The Rebuild, that tunes in every week. And I've had a lot of fun being able to do this. We're now up to, I think this is episode 11, which is uh, sort of crazy to me that this has been going on this long and it's gotten uh, a decent little audience. And I hope to continue continue to bring you great Browns content and really good guests moving forward. Happy to be back with you guys. I was on a brief vacation to Breckenridge, Colorado, which is a beautiful place if you're into skiing or snowboarding or simply just looking at enormous mountains and feeling like you're in a totally different universe. Living in Cleveland and then, you know, flying somewhere, our window shade was down most of the time, then you sort of step out and see enormous mountains surrounding you. We flew into the Denver airport, which by the way, I don't really know what the plan architecturally was for the Denver airport. You know, I know it's all these white tents, and I guess the idea behind it was to mimic the Rocky Mountains, the snow-capped Rocky Mountains, but it just looks like a bunch of teepees in a row, and it is the strangest, most enormous, cavernous-looking airport that I think I've ever been to. I've been to Denver's airport a few times. Really nice inside, like it's a good airport. They're doing a bunch of construction on it right now, but... I don't fully understand the idea behind the design. It's just the weirdest thing, and there's nothing around it. You know, it's about like 25 minutes from downtown Denver. So it's just like these flat plains around it, and then all of a sudden you just have these white tents everywhere. You know, it feels like a place where like Illuminati meetings happen. Like if somebody told me they were in the Illuminati and they had meetings at the Denver airport, every month and then you saw the Denver airport, I think you'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes a lot, that makes sense. That's definitely where you guys would meet. It's where Kyrie Irving meets with the rest of the Illuminati. They're all, they're all right in there. Um, but the skiing was incredible. Uh, we also, I tweeted this out, but there was a bar near the Airbnb in Breckenridge where we were staying and we walked in, we sat down the first time we were there. We went a couple times and we're looking at the menu and there's pierogies on it. There's a, burger that was called the clevelander so you know our spidey sense was going off so we asked one of the waitresses uh what what the deal was like did you have some cleveland connections are you guys from ohio and they happen to be from rocky river this random bar in breckenridge called the little bar a really good spot but a really small spot sort of off in the cut and it's owned by two people from Rocky River. So that is always very wild to me when I come across those type of situations, which happens to me traveling way more than you would ever imagine. There are Cleveland slash Ohio people all over the place. And it's dope because we've taken over the world. So uh, shout out to Cleveland people. Shout out to Cleveland Connections all throughout the United States. But really good trip. But a lot of things happened, especially the last day I was there when we were, uh, when we were actually leaving and uh, leaving Breckenridge and driving back to the airport. One of the first things 
that happened. There's so much Brown stuff to touch on, which I'm happy about because it had been a bit of a dead period. And now with the NFL Combine kicking off um, this week into the weekend and, you know, free agency will start here shortly and all of that stuff, um, football news is going to start picking up again, which is which is great, not only for the podcast, but for everybody else. Uh, the first thing, and we'll do some quick hits on this, but Andrew Barry, who held the position uh, vice president of player personnel for the Browns. He was hired in January of 2016. He was just 29 years old when the Browns hired him. He has been poached by the Philadelphia Eagles. He's going to become their vice president of football operations. He's sort of going to be working in tandem with uh, the Eagles GM, Howie Roseman. Um, I, the interesting thing about Andrew Barry to me is that he, he and Paul Podesta sort of remained in the shadows when John Dorsey took over. I remember there were early episodes of that show, Building the Browns, where Andrew Barry was front and center, especially when Sashi Brown uh, was here. He was a guy that I think maybe was a little bit more on the analytics side of things inside the Browns organization, worked closely with Sashi Brown, but the Browns regarded him very highly, and he was 29 years old when the team hired him in 2016, and from just conversations I've had with uh, a couple former players and some people within the organization, they they simply hired Andrew Barry. I mean, obviously, you know, the credentials were there. Uh, he had worked as a scout for a while, but um, they just wanted to have his brain inside the inside the building. That's how it was sort of explained to me. They didn't know what role he was going to have, what he was going to do. They just simply wanted to have him in the organization because they thought he was that smart and they thought he was that talented of a guy. And uh, Dorsey obviously uh, held him in the organization, him and Sashi Brown. Excuse me, Sashi Brown. I wish. Uh, him and uh, Paul D. Podesta. And um, it had been reported by Mary Kay Cabot and some other people that this is not the first time other teams have come calling for Andrew Barry's services, but that is quite a, a promotion for Andrew Barry. So congratulations to him. I think he'll do great in an organization like the Eagles that is very forward thinking, very analytics forward. And um, I think that's a really good fit for him there. So uh, Andrew Barry, I mean, it's going to be a loss for the Browns. I don't know how, you know, it, I don't think it'll be a huge hole in their front office, but he was certainly somebody that the... The Browns held in very high regard, a very smart, uh, very smart guy, and I think he's going to flourish in Philadelphia. So congrats to Andrew Barry, who uh, moves on to Philadelphia, where uh, he will now have to ensure that Carson Wentz isn't just a system quarterback. Am I right, you guys? Hello? Anybody? Hello? Um, so that's the main first thing I wanted to touch on. Second thing that the Browns did over the uh, over the week past weekend was they signed Greg Robinson, the left tackle who uh, filled in for Desmond Harrison after week eight when when Desmond had sort of shown that he was not really ready for that left tackle position at all. Just, uh, and that thanks a, another shout out to Hugh Jackson for deciding that he was going to start Desmond Harrison at the left tackle position after starting uh, Joel Batonio there all of training camp and most of the preseason. So thank you again, Hugh Jackson, for all your can for all your great contributions to the Cleveland Browns franchise. Um, I believe it was a one-year deal with the uh, with the Browns, which makes a lot of sense, I think, for both Greg and the Browns. I think, you know, the Browns can get a full season's worth of tape on Greg and figure out if he is the guy moving forward and lock him up for a longer-term contract after that. 
so that he can be um, he can be the guy at that left tackle position for the foreseeable future, and then you don't end up having to spend a, a draft pick on a left tackle, at least not a high draft pick on a left tackle, or you don't have to reach out in free agency, which is something we're gonna uh, we'll talk about a little bit later. But they don't have to to pay somebody in free agency immediately to come over and uh, solidify that left tackle position. And I, Greg Robinson earned a slightly above average grade from pro football focus. And he obviously had some issues with, with holding penalties. Um, he got flagged for 10 of them from week 10 through the end of the season. Seven of, seven of them were accepted, but uh, 10 holding penalties is not something you want from your left tackle. Holding penalties in general just absolutely kill drives. But, you know, in terms of just being somebody that really was able to help settle down that offensive line and turn the Browns offensive line into really one of the best in the NFL at the end of the season, Greg Robinson was that guy. And as somebody that has sort of, you know, former number two overall pick, he had sort of floundered with the Lions and with the Rams and couldn't really figure out where his ability level was and and if he was going to be a legitimate starter in the NFL anymore. And the Browns sort of struck gold when they, when they snagged him um, this past season. And he sort of proved his worth to them in terms of earning another year as the, as the left tackle of the Browns. And um, it's sort of a low risk move for the Browns in terms of this one year deal, because, you know, if it backfires and a larger sample size provides that um, he still is a guy that struggles and that is inconsistent, um, or is going to deal with injuries like he did with the Lions in 2017 when he hurt his ankle, uh, then you just you move on and uh, you figure out you know who else is going to to play that left tackle spot if that is the case. But one year deal for for Greg Robinson, it's an incentive laden deal, and I think that um, it's good for both sides. And hopefully that is somebody that's going to uh, not only some continuity from last season to this season and you're keeping the that offensive line intact and not having to work somebody new in uh, for Baker Mayfield for the running backs all of that stuff but um, stability as well and just not having to go through training camp obviously searching for another left tackle to replace uh, the one and the only Joe Thomas so uh, one-year deal for Greg Robinson who will uh, be manning that left tackle position for 2019 and perhaps uh, beyond. And I think that's really good news uh, for the Browns. Another thing, before we get to, you know, Freddie Kitchens, head coach of the Cleveland Browns, spoke at the NFL Combine uh, this morning as the Combine gets ramped up. It's a little more low-key for the Browns this year because they're picking 17th, and it's been a long time since it, it, it sort of felt like there just isn't this urgency and this sort of rabidness because the Browns don't have a top five pick. They're not looking for a quarterback. Uh, it's just, it, it feels like a whole different world. It does feel a little more reserved. It feels a little more relaxed in terms of both how much we're paying attention to it as fans, as media. Um, and just sort of, you know, you didn't really, after Freddie Kitchen's initial um press conference where he was introduced as the coach. And then obviously John Dorsey came out and talked about the Kareem Hunt signing. But since then, Freddie Kitchens, it's kind of been radio silent. And there's really just been not a ton of rumors, not a ton of speculation about who the Browns are going to be taking the draft. It's just really fascinating to sort of balance that with what it's been like in the past few years. And um, it's nice to, we said this before, but it's nice to just not have to worry about combing through Drew Locke's film or combing through Dwayne Haskins' film and trying to figure out 
who which between those guys and whoever else is in is in your top five quarterbacks who's going to be the guy that's leading the Browns I'm thrilled that we don't have to do that anymore and try to talk ourselves into somebody so uh, that's really great Freddie Kitchens was at the NFL combine today and we will get to that in a second but I, I what's really much more important than Freddie Kitchens comments today is Baker Mayfield and I, I don't mean Baker Mayfield as what's he been doing this offseason to improve has he been lifting weights and, and and getting his throwing arm even stronger so he can throw the ball a million miles down the field to whoever's going to catch it? No, I mean Baker Mayfield is going on vacation, and his fit is spectacular. Baker Mayfield's vacation fit is really just, it's, it's a top five vacation fit, and I want to break it down here on the Rebuild exclusively for you guys because I think it's important. So Baker Mayfield was in line... It looks like the security line getting ready to go wherever he is on vacation. He appears to be with uh, Sterling Shepard, who was one of his wide receivers at Oklahoma. Good friends. But his uh, his fiance took a photo of him in the security line, and it's just immaculate. First of all, Baker's wearing a an all-black baseball hat. There's no logo on it. Like It looks like something you would wear if you were... Uh, a part of the FBI and you were undercover and they were just like, here is a black nondescript hat, wear this. And you'd be like, okay. Um, the beard game is really strong for Baker. I'm hoping he keeps it. It's sort of wild to look back. The Browns were tweeting some stuff from his NFL Combine appearance a year ago and he looks like a child. And now he's grown into a full adult Browns quarterback man. And the beard is, uh, the beard is, it's a top beard in the NFL. It's not Ryan Fitzpatrick level, but it's uh, it's up there. But the rest of the fit is is really what I want to talk about. First of all, he looks like he's got a Tommy Bahama shirt on. It's got flowers. It looks like there's a fish on it. Um, really just the short sleeve button down look is uh, is solid. Looks like he's rocking some some shorts with some, some lobsters on it. Let's enhance. Let's enhance here. Uh, maybe they're, excuse me, they're flamingos. I apologize. He's rocking flamingo shorts. Uh, he's got some Nikes on that almost look like Air Monarchs, but they're not. But they, they're white and they're brown. So still representing for the Browns. Somebody was like, are those the Air Dorseys? I don't think the Air Dorseys. But they do look like something you would wear as you're transitioning like out of your 30s. Like you're hitting 35 and you just don't have the desire or the energy to spend on buying cool clothes and shoes anymore and you you just are sort of morphing into your dad even though you told yourself five years ago that you would never actually let that happen and you would wear cool stuff for the rest of your life like this is a fit this is an ultimate dad fit uh, going on vacation he's got the sort of bucket hat uh, hanging out on his backpack to you know block him from the sun that's a dad move to just wear an outlandish hat so you don't have to put on as much sunscreen uh, because you just are you're taking all precautions to to block yourself from the sun. That is a that is a dad move if I've ever seen one. So Baker Mayfield is transitioning into a father. Um, he's about to get married. Maybe children on the way. Who can say? But this vacation fit is spectacular. It, it is um, it is so dad-like that it's giving me flashbacks. And a uh, shout-out to Baker Mayfield, who is now my father, apparently. So uh, I, it was just important for me to touch on Baker Mayfield's vacation fit because your quarterback could never, all right, Arian Foster, whoever your quarterback was, Matt Schaub, he absolutely could never pull off this fit. So stop adding Baker Mayfield. He will come back at you. Leave his fits alone. Leave his dance moves alone. He is our father. He is here to stunt, and he's going to do it however he pleases. 
Aryan. Get out of here. Nobody listens to your podcast anyway. All right, that's it. That was it for the, the Baker Mayfield vacation fit portion of this podcast. We will update you as more fits come out as his vacation continues throughout the 2019 offseason. Back to much more important and serious business. Freddie Kitchens had some interesting things to say at his presser today. The first thing that I thought was interesting and I really appreciated was some of his comments on Kareem Hunt. Thought John Dorsey did a really poor job in his press conference about signing Kareem, sort of deflecting any serious questions about um, you know what that type of signing says to women that are fans of the Cleveland Browns or just people you know who are against domestic violence uh, in general. He didn't really have a lot of good answers to any of that. Sort of passed the buck onto the owners who haven't really talked about it. So I, I appreciated Freddie Kitchens coming out today and one quote in particular when he was asked about Kareem Hunt he said Kareem has to be willing to show remorse there's some good that come out of this but we've never justified what happened we'll worry about the football stuff later Um, he also went on to say the second chance for Kareem Hunt is not now he's got a lot of work to do between now and when that second chance comes so we'll see how that goes Uh, and finally you know they're in the business of helping Kareem Hunt become a better person, and we'll get to the football stuff later. So, you know, who knows exactly how genuine all of these comments are. I do believe that the Browns want to help Kareem Hunt. At least I hope they do. I think that the Browns did actually do an admirable job with Josh Gordon when they were um, trying to help him through his issues. Now, obviously, drug addiction... is different than domestic abuse and domestic abuse to me is a much more serious thing in terms of how you deal and bringing a player like that onto your team as opposed to someone who is just struggling with an addiction. So I think there's a difference there, but I do, I do appreciate what Freddie Kitchen said to say, especially that we've never justified what happened because I think that was a lot of sort of, how people felt with John Dorsey's comments where it was just a really quick brush off of it and who cares, you know, we're moving on from all that stuff. So I I appreciate Freddie Kitchens not only taking the time or being willing to take these questions, but then giving some thoughtful answers on it, which is something that John Dorsey should have done in the first place, but he did not. But uh, but shout out to Freddie Kitchens, uh, Freddie Kitchens for that. Another really interesting thing um, that that Freddie Kitchens said sort of regarding Kareem Hunt, but, uh, you know, somebody asked him what, signing Kareem Hunt meant for Nick Chubb. And um, Freddie said, quote, Nick Chubb's our running back. We're always looking for good football players to come in and compete. But Nick Chubb's not going to back down from any competitive situation. And as he shouldn't, I mean, the starting running back job should be Nick Chubb's. I think he's more than earned it. And I think you're only going to see a better um, and just higher football IQ version of Nick Chubb in year two. Um, as he kind of goes through another full year in the Brown system. And, you know, Nick Chubb, a guy that has incredible one-cut speed accelerating uh, after after a cut. His vision is incredible. Um, and as I mentioned, that ability to one-cut and take off, I think is some of the best of any NFL running back. And I'm really excited to see how he's grown from year one to year two. So Nick Chubb should absolutely be the starting running back for the Cleveland Browns. And Kareem Hunt will be suspended 10 to 12 games, whole season, who knows? It's, he's going to miss a lot of time. So Nick Chubb is going to be that guy to continue to carry the load. And, you know, it leaves the question about Duke Johnson. 
Browns have sort of made it clear they're not interested in trading him. They want to keep him on the roster. Freddie Kitchens said today that Duke Johnson is a running back. They're not going to be lining him up at wide receiver, which I I sometimes feel like is uh, a mistake. And I think that if with Duke Johnson, you know, every year we've heard that the Browns want to use him as a uh, as a running back, and then they just don't put him on the field enough, and they don't get him enough snaps. And Duke Johnson has made it known that he enjoys playing wide receiver, and he would do so if asked. And I, I think that the Browns, if they want to utilize um, Duke Johnson more and get him more snaps, and if that's not going to come at running back because you have uh, Nick Chubb and you have Kareem Hunt, who whenever he returns to the field is somebody that you absolutely want to have playing because his abilities are immense. So if you can put Duke Johnson in the slot and you can find ways to get linebackers on him and guys that are not going to be able to cover him on him by moving him around, and if that means wide receiver, then fine. I think you should do it. So sometimes I feel like there's a stubbornness with Duke Johnson to, no, we're going to put him in the backfield. We're going to put him in the backfield. And and Freddie Kitchens, right when he took over as offensive play caller, used him really well. Um, and then it sort of tapered off towards the end of the season. And this is sort of a pattern with Duke where there's games where it feels like the Browns are emphasizing his use. And then by the second half, he's not involved uh, in the passing or running game at all. And I hope that's something that changes. But it's going to be interesting because there is a bit of a log jam now uh, with that running back spot. And I think it would make sense to use Duke Johnson more as a receiver uh, than it would out of the backfield since that's something they have trouble figuring out how to do anyway. So we will see what happens with that. But it's Nick Chubb's job moving forward. Kareem Hunt is obviously going to be somebody that's going to be mixed in whenever his suspension ends, whether it is the end of the 2019 season or 2020 when he's back full time. Um, That will be really interesting to follow. The final thing that really stood out to me from Freddie Kitchen's presser was his comments on Brashad Perriman, who uh, remains a a free agent, is trying to... um, negotiate a contract with the Browns. His agent is Drew Rosenhaus. We all know how those negotiations go. Freddie Kitchen said this to say, he said, Brashad's a good player. Brashad had more success with us than anybody else. This is true. We have plans for a Brashad going forward. Hopefully we get him back. So that we have plans for Brashad moving forward is a really interesting line. And it sort of seems like the coaching staff is expecting and hoping to to get uh, Perriman back. And Perriman, in his very short time uh, with the Browns, obviously it's a really small sample size, but I was looking today and came across something, a really interesting stat via Football Outsiders. You know, we talk about DVOA, which um, is a sort of a more analytical stat, but DVOA stands for Defense Adjusted Value Over Average. It's essentially... For anything, whether it's team offense, team defense, or individual positions, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, it essentially shows you how much better than the average player at that position a certain player is. So today, I was looking at their wide receiver rankings for 2018, and this was really fascinating to me. Rashard Higgins was 11th in the NFL in DVOA. He was plus 22.3%. That was his value. Um, 22.3% better than the average uh, wide receiver. And that follows names like DeAndre Hopkins, who was one spot above Rashard Higgins. Michael Thomas for New Orleans was two spots above Rashard Higgins. T.Y. Hilton, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Tyler Boyd, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans, Mike Williams, and Tyler Lockett. Like These are elite wide receivers 
that Rashard Higgins has sort of found himself alongside. Now, he didn't have as many receptions and targets as some of these guys, obviously, and you know, you wouldn't you wonder if you increase Rashard's workload, if that, that number would drop a little bit. But Rashard Higgins had a really good year for the Browns and um, was probably Baker Mayfield's top target in terms of those two connecting and Rashard Higgins' catch percentage, which was up in the 70s. He was really, really good last year. So that was really fascinating that Rashard Higgins would come in 11th in the entire NFL in wide receiver DVOA and be a spot behind DeAndre Hopkins and two spots behind Michael Thomas. Um they had another category, and this was for guys that only had between 10 and 50 passes. So this is a smaller sample size, obviously. But Bashard Perryman comes in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th on this list. And his uh, DVOA sits at a robust 36.6%. So Bashard Perryman balled in his very short and brief appearances with the Browns. So I think, obviously, you want Bashard Perryman back. The question is going to be what sort of contract he's looking for, and is he somebody that you can replace through the draft with somebody like a Marquise Brown from Oklahoma who's probably going to be available? Um, is he somebody that you can simply just expect a step up from Antonio Callaway in year two, and you can sort of match that production? It was interesting because the Browns in 2018 um, – one of the most frequently used personnel groupings uh, in the NFL, and this is from week eight on, or excuse me, week nine on. This is when Freddie Kitchens took over. So this is sort of the, um, what is the word that I'm looking for here? This is the, So this is from week nine on when Freddie Kitchens became the offensive coordinator of the Browns. From week nine on in the 2018 season, um, NFL teams used 11 personnel. That's one running back, one tight end, uh, leaving three wide receivers. They use it 66% of the time, um, 66% of their offensive snaps. They used 11 personnel. That was the average. The Browns come in way below that average. They only use 11 personnel, three wide receivers, 55% of the time. Now, obviously, that is the um, that is the the most that they used of any of their of any of their formations. But a lot of what the Browns uh, did and did so more than a lot of teams too was they used um, 12 personnel, which is one running back. Two tight ends, two wide receivers. From week nine on, the Browns uh, used that personnel grouping on 18% of their offensive snaps. The average for that uh, in the NFL was 17%, so just a little bit above. But they were out there much more with two wide receivers um, than some other teams. Um, they also, 16% of their snaps, and this was really interesting, I think I noted this another time, but 16% of their snaps, they went 13 personnel, which is one running back, three tight ends, and just one wide receiver. They did that 16% of the time, the NFL average is 3%. So when we look at the Browns wide receivers, and you have Rashard Higgins, you have Jarvis Landry, you have Antonio Callaway, and then you had Rashard Perryman, the Browns just were not using four wideouts very often. Um, they were using three wideouts less, much less than the average NFL team, and they were using just two wideouts right around and a little bit above the average. So 
when you're talking about Brashard Perryman's role on the Browns and the sort of personnel groupings they like to use, are you going to overpay somebody that you're not going to be using and having them play as many snaps um, as somebody that you could get on a rookie contract out of the draft or somebody else you can find in free agency or Antonio Callaway, who is a another deep threat and should take, I think should take a big leap from year one to year two. I really do. And I think you saw towards the end of the season with uh, his snap scaled back a little bit, how well Antonio Callaway played. So I'm not sure. It's going to be interesting to see what the number is that Brashard Perryman is looking for and Drew Rosenhaus is looking for because... Um, it just, it may not make sense to give him X amount of dollars despite his production and a small sample size when your personnel groupings maybe aren't going to dictate that he's going to play all that much. And maybe you can just replace that production with somebody already on the team or in the draft. So I found that really interesting as well, but I did find, uh, Freddie Kitchen's comments on Perryman, uh, fascinating. They obviously are very high on him and they want him back. And I think you can do things with Perryman that obviously that we saw he can, you know, he can get deep. He's a, he's a burner. And he caught the football, which was something that he did not do in Baltimore and may have more to do with injuries and feeling uncomfortable in an offense than anything else. So the Browns may have also struck gold there. It's just going to be interesting to see what the number is um, that Perriman's going to want in free agency and whether the Browns are willing uh, to meet that number or not. I wanted to take a quick break from the conversations to tell you a little bit about one of our sponsors of Blue Wire and the Rebuild podcast, that is Ethos Life Insurance. You know, life can be stressful, but getting life insurance should not be. So that's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there's no medical exams or policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day. And there's no hidden fees. That's another big benefit. So having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance should not cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be. At Ethos, you can get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. You just have to go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. Once again, that is getethos.com. All right, let's hop back into the podcast and sort of uh, uh, wrap things up here a little bit. Um, There was a really interesting article, and I've brought up Bill Barnwell before. He's a writer for ESPN. I think he's really good at what he does. Also, former Browns GM. Just kidding. He's not. Just kidding. Maybe he was. Um, He put out an interesting article. It was five off-season moves. every NFL team can make to have a successful offseason. And I wanted to go through those because I thought he had some really interesting ideas um, and things that I think we, myself, others uh, will uh, think should happen and hopefully will happen. The first one of those is locking up Demarius Randall and Joe Schobert. It is still somewhat of a miracle that the Browns uh, got Demarius Randall for Deshaun Kaiser, who may probably will never start in the NFL again, and who knows if he is a even really an adequate backup. We saw nothing during his stints in Green Bay last season to point towards any sort of 
ability as a successful backup. So we'll see what happens with that. But that was a maybe one of John Dorsey's best moves outside of drafting Baker Mayfield was um, getting rid of Deshaun Kaiser and getting Demarius Randall, who they moved back to his natural position at safety, and he flourished back there. And he should be a part of that Brown secondary for the foreseeable future. I think he's that good. He's that talented. Um, he also wants the Brown to lock, Browns to lock up Joe Schobert. Joe Schobert is coming off a career year in terms of coverage um, at that linebacker position. Um, he can play every down. He can, uh, even though he was, Schobert got hurt a little bit last year. I think Schobert has kind of proven over his career that he's fairly durable. So Joe Schobert, Schobert? Schobert is a leader of that defense, really good in coverage, faster than you think he is. So um, I don't disagree with any of those. And I also very much agree with his next idea, which is just cut Jamie Collins. Uh, if you cut or release Jamie Collins, you are, um, you're creating 9.3 million in cap space. Um, and you can never have enough of that. And Jamie Collins, I think, is somebody who had his best season the second half of the season when the Browns traded for him from the New England Patriots. He got a new contract, and Jamie Collins just seems like the type of guy whose focus kind of can go in and out, and he really hasn't made the type of impact that I think the Browns hoped for when they traded for him. Um, you've seen the clips, obviously, and, and you know taking single clips and trying to build it into a bigger narrative can be tough, but you've seen the clips of him sort of giving up on some tackles or not giving full effort on certain plays, and I think that is an actual representation of, of Jamie Collins when he's focused. Uh, he's good. He can cover running backs out of the backfield. He can play zone. He can um, blitz the quarterback. I did a piece uh, for my own personal website of after his first half season with the Browns, after he got traded for it, he was great. And he played really, really well. He was able to blitz. He was able to get home to the cornerback, do stuff in coverage. He was really sort of a Swiss army knife for this team. And we just haven't seen that since. So, I would not be opposed to just simply releasing Jamie Collins. Um, you know, you talk about Jannard Avery and how much he came on and how good the Browns think he can be. Um, fifth round pick that had some really nice games last season. He can get to the quarterback. Uh, he's fast enough to do some stuff in coverage. So um, I'd be more than okay with Jannard Avery sort of taking a lot of those reps uh, from Jamie Collins. Uh, maybe you find a linebacker in the draft that, that you want to sub in there as well. But um, Jannard Avery is more, I think, has, is more than deserving of being able to kind of slide into the void that, that Jamie Collins would, would create if the Browns released him. And um, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with that. But I just don't think Jamie Collins, both at his sort of age and at his Ability level and focus level at this point makes sense. And if you want to move forward with your young guys, including Jannard Avery, who um, I know you know Pro Football Focus is very high on, had a very good season, and um, I think is an exciting player for the Browns. Sort of moving forward, I'd be very intrigued by that. Another move Bill Barnwell wanted the Browns to make was going after Trent Brown, um, who is a uh, who is a left tackle. Um, going after him in free agency. I know he's the Patriots left tackle. Um, he's going to be a, a free agent. I don't know. Before the Browns signed Greg Robinson, I sort of shrugged my shoulders at this and thought that, you know, you can just kind of get Greg on a, on a short deal and not super expensive instead of going after somebody that's going to demand a little bit more money. Um, Barnwell sort of advocates for the Browns to sign somebody else 
at left tackle in free agency regardless or not of whether they sign Greg Robinson just as insurance, which I, I get. I'm not sure the Browns are going to do that. Um, so the Trent Brown thing, I, I think, is is not something that's going to happen um, uh, with the signing of Greg Robinson. He also wants the Browns to add another edge rusher. Brandon Graham of the Eagles is a name that has come up multiple times uh, being linked to the Browns. Um, he is a free agent who is coming off a really good season with the Philadelphia Eagles. And he seems like the type of guy um, that would make sense for, for the Browns. You know, Justin Houston is another name that has sort of been linked to them, especially from Barnwell here. Um, if, if the chiefs cut him, which is something that, that may happen, but Brandon Graham is the type of guy that you can put on the edge. You can sort of help that defensive, uh, that, that DE rotation. You can get some more sacks. You know, Brandon Graham had four sacks last season. Um, just a, a, a good player that you can sort of, and a veteran player that you can sort of stash onto that line and help in sort of the defensive line rotation. Um, and then you know, this is obviously, this is something that I very highly doubt would happen, but Bill Barnwell wants the Brown to sign and Dominican Sue. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think they're going to end up drafting a defensive tackle uh, instead of going this route and pairing him with Larry Ogunjobi and then letting sort of this rotation of Miles Garrett, Jannard Avery, uh, Emmanuel Agba, who the Browns talked about getting him back to his natural position at the edge, and uh, excuse me, and Brandon Graham, if that's somebody, the, the route they go. Um, I think that is what they're going to end up doing, whether it is uh, an Ed Oliver, if he somehow drops to the Browns, which I don't think he's going to, but then you look at a Christian Wilkins, um, those type of guys, a defensive tackle position, I think that's the route the Browns will, are going to go instead of sort of doling out a fair amount of cash for Ndamukong Sue, who is now 32 years old. Um, giving a multi-year deal to him at this point in his career for the Browns doesn't seem like something that would uh, would make sense and sort of follow their organizational plan. So I'm not sure that's going to happen. I do think that the you know signing a Brandon Graham to help on the edge and then taking a defensive tackle in the draft is more likely the scenario that's going to happen. And then finally, uh, Bill Barnwell wants the Browns to sort of sign a deep threat. Um, it's going to, I mentioned Bashard Perryman, no idea what's going to happen with that. It's sort of just the gut feeling right now, it feels like he's not going to be back. It sort of feels like Rosenhaus is going to be looking for more and Perryman's going to be looking for more than the Browns are going to be willing to offer. So you sort of are now looking at Jarvis Landry, Richard Higgins, who they Browns still need to resign, but I think that's going to happen. Um, Antonio Callaway and David Njoku at the tight end spot. Maybe the Browns take another tight end in the draft as well. Um, you know, some of the names that have been mentioned have been guys like Kenny Stills, who's uh, who's in Miami with Jarvis Landry. Maybe the Browns would have some interest in Deshaun Jackson, uh, who seems to be done with Tampa Bay and wants to be out of there. Um, you know, again, I mentioned a guy like Oklahoma's Marquise Brown, who's a burner in the draft, but not sure if the Browns are going to go after him at 17 or if he'll be around if they uh, wanted to try and move back up to get him. But I do think that another deep threat that can play um, 
you know, a minimal amount of snaps, but make a really big impact, sort of what Bashard Perryman did. Another name is John Brown, uh, another former uh, former Raven. John Brown is going to be a, a uh, free agent. Hasn't really had a good quarterback to play with in a while, but another a uh, another deep threat there. Those are some names that you can um, sort of look at for the Browns. I know somebody mentioned Terrence Williams as well from the from the Dallas Cowboys. But those guys who are going to be able to stretch the field, play limited snaps, so they're fresh um, and really just get vertical um, and sort of help that core of wide receivers for the Browns, I do think is important. So I think Bill is kind of spot on uh, with a lot of these ideas. And that's an interesting article you can find on ESPN.com. That is officially going to do it for this episode of The Rebuild. Uh, it's, it's getting a little exciting now. We get some combine numbers coming out uh, this week. We can look at whose hands are too small to grip a hamburger and whose hands are outrageously big and maybe uh, can't actually grip a football. That's always really enjoyable. It'll be fun to look at some targets for the Browns in the drafts. Some of them I mentioned already, Christian Wilkins, Christian Wilkins excuse me, um, you know, guys like Devin Bush, linebackers, um, guys like Marquise Williams, who obviously isn't going to run the 40 because of the injury that he dealt with at the end of Oklahoma season. But nonetheless, I think it's going to be fun. You're going to get to see just some guys throw. Drew Locke's going to throw out the combine. It's just fun to see um, some of the bigger names get out there and, and show off their arm, especially at the quarterback position. So a lot of fun stuff coming up, and we will be right there with you along the way. Um, as the Browns kind of get into the uh, – it's the beginning of the meat of the offseason from the draft to free agency. And um, this is a fun time because this is really what the rebuild is about is about looking at the Browns and how they can move forward uh, and turn the 2019 season into one that is going to compete for the playoffs. So this is a really exciting and really fun time to be a Browns fan because uh, football is sort of kind of back in our the front of our minds because God knows the Cleveland Indians aren't. So uh, thank you once again for joining me, Jordan Zerm. We will be back next week with another episode. Follow me on Twitter at Cleve Zerm. Uh, subscribe and rate the podcast. And uh, tell a friend to tell a friend. I'll talk to you guys next week.